This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, how you going? It's Nelly here. Happy New Year to you. Don't know where that came from. Hey, we at the Dear Nelly team hope 2024 is full of love and adventure and rest and all the things, whatever that looks like for you. And thank you again for your continued support for this funny little podcast. Now, we've got some very exciting news. We have another live show coming up. This one is on Thursday, the 8th of February at the Malthouse Outdoors at the iconic Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne as part of their annual podcast season where they showcase mm -hmm, the best podcasts around. I am thrilled to confirm that the lineup includes me, obviously, hosting. We also have comedian, author and broadcaster Sammy Shah. Jesus, he's funny. He's so great on radio. He's so great at all the things. Some of you may know him from the Australian story on ABC, which featured the incredible tale of him and his now wife, academic Kylie Moore Gilbert, who was sentenced to 10 years in an Iranian prison, but thankfully made it home. What a love story. We also have comedian and dear Nelly favourite, the incomparable Kirsty Wiebeck, who also happens to be one of my strawberryest of strawberry friends, and I know you all adore adore her. And last but not least, oh my god, we have comedian and actor Lizzie Who. Lizzie bloody Who. She's on all the comedy specials, on all the streaming services, and no doubt she's one of the hottest bloody comedians going around. Now, I mean hot as in popular, but you know, you go with whatever. So look, I urge you to get in and book tickets via the Malthouse website or my website at nellythomas.com and of course there are links in the show notes couple of other quick reminders keep your calls coming if you can join patreon or acast plus for five a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market bucks a month for bonus episodes and other rewards this year paid subscribers will get live zoom events with me throughout the year where we can do q and a's and interact 
Now, this podcast was recorded in the council area known as Darabin in Melbourne. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Last but not least, some things don't change, moles. This is a sex, dating and relationships podcast for adults. If you don't like swearing, it's really going to give you the shit, so off your fuck. Dear Nelly. I could use some advice, dear Nelly. Yeah, some help would be nice, dear Nelly. I'm eager to hear your point of view, dear Nelly. There's a lot to explore, dear Nelly. When you're 40 or more, dear Nelly. So I'm hoping we can talk it through. Welcome to Dear Nelly, Sex, Relationships and Dating from the Other Side of 40. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Kwai Ling, academic. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nelly. I'm really happy to be here. Now, Eileen, tell me how would you, I've introduced you as an academic because that's the context in which I know you, but is that how you would introduce yourself? I would introduce myself as uh, a Singaporean of Chinese, Hokkien, Indonesia, Peranakan heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my grandparents, they migrated from China, Fujian province, and my maternal grandmother migrated from Indonesian Palembang as a marriage migrant. Mm. So I have um, um, really um, strong Chinese and Indonesian mm. heritage that I am um, really proud of. And also, um, you know, the, it, it's just a strong part of my my sense of self. And, um, and I just love the food. <laughs> of course. Who doesn't love the food? Can I ask you, first of all, what may be a silly question, but I think it's important to ask, what is a marriage migrant? Well, um, so my grand- maternal grandfather was a seaman. So he he was on his way um, to, um, on, on he was working on a ship and he the ship docked at uh, Palembang in Indonesia. Um, and and then um, and they met. Yeah, they were introduced. Um, it was an arranged marriage. Um, and my grandfather decided to settle there for a while. Um, he looked. He found um, odd jobs, and and they you know started a family. But he soon contracted um, um, a disease that required him to return to Singapore to seek medical treatment. And that's how my grandmother then moved with him to mm. Singapore. And so marriage migrants, uh, you, you, you migrate from your home country to another mm. country because of, of marriage. And, and that's what we are also witnessing as a global trend across yes. the, the world now. So it's actually, it's quite literal. It is, yeah. you are migrating because of marriage. Yes, precisely. Yeah. 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 And you're, because I find, I mean, you and I, just for context, we both spoke at an event in Sydney together called Queer Stories and 
you were, and I've said this to you already, so I hope it's not offensive, but I was so pleasantly surprised at how funny you were, <laughs> right? So I've been around academics a lot. I was almost one myself. You're not known for your humour, feeling, mm. but you were so funny. I want to get to your relationship history, but I want to know where that humour comes from. I don't think I develop a... I deliberately, you know, it's not a craft <laughs> I'm, because that's not my day job. My day job is is, is to be a researcher, to be a teacher, um, you know, to work in a university. Um, it is really just my coping mechanism. Yes. When you have gone through shit and yes. gone through so much um, and after a while, after the trauma, you... Mm. You have there's nothing else to do but just mm. laugh and, mm. and think about it. it. It is quite hilarious, but but and I think that using dark humor is also helpful to just get the message across. You yeah. make people laugh, but then as as they are laughing, they can't help to ponder or contemplate upon their own laughter. Like why am I even laughing? It's not mm. even funny when you think about mm. it. But mm. people are laughing because it just sounds so absurd. Right, yeah. so it's a different kind of humor, and I don't think that I deliberately work on it. I was just telling my story at Queer Stories, and and uh, well, I think people just probably find it relatable. Oh, one hundred percent relatable, but they can be relatable without laughter. I think the and you may have done this unconsciously, but I think that humor is very disarming. So people sometimes find it strange, the kinds of spaces that I come from and work in, whether it's family violence or child protection or homelessness or mm. even academia, all those kinds of things. Like how can you bring humour to those? It's exactly for the reason that you said, mm. because these are really heavy things and you can't sit in shit 24-7, mm. no matter how committed you are to social justice and to the world changing and to things improving, it is not fair, even on a base level, to that workforce to mm -hmm. ask them to sit in that trauma all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you can bring some kind of levity to one of their events, you know, I feel that is, and I mean this sincerely, that is part of my activism, the ability yeah. to do that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's. I think I, yeah, I really agree with you because I think also that that um, the crowd at queer stories. Um, was mostly white and mm. I love that you talk about how humor can be disarming yes my whole story was about racism and mm. queer phobia the intersection of both mm. uh, and 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 heteronormativity as well and and when you make them laugh um I think that the message sent across to them conveyed to them was a lot more impactful oh uh, yes they're laughing there's um that's also it is also um it, it sends a, a a message to your whole body as they are yes. moving as they are listening yes. um and I think that 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 form of activism is really powerful getting people mm. to, to contemplate on social issues and social inequalities through laughter mm. um and it stays with you Eileen I think that's the thing yeah. like I have quoted from your speech multiple times to people and I think if I'm honest like I it's not that I haven't heard a story like yours before but I think the the humor and the levity I mean it was beautifully written as well but the humor makes a big difference and maybe that's just my brain but it does it was much more memorable for me because I think it may as you said it made a bodily connection mm -hmm. where you kind of go it's almost that gasp of oh oh 
did that really, that really happened? And of course I know it happened, you know, and I know it's still happening, but mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing where it lands differently when you're, it's almost like your chest is open when you're laughing. You and, and I think the audience were laughing. Um, it struck a chord with them. The audience was laughing because they, they were laughing at how ridiculous the situation was. Correct. And I think that that is more important than the actual, you know, the it comic is. of how it was delivered. Yes, and not laughing at you, laughing at the absurdity oh. of the situation and the injustice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Now, take me back to Little E-Link. So we are... What are we? 14, 15, 16. We're in high school. I think you're still in Singapore at that point. Yeah, are yeah. you dating? Are you wanting to date? What's the situation? I think like any other um young teenager, you know, you 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 are in that that fantasy land where uh hormones are raging, you are you yeah. know, through puberty and you dream of um um a, a nice happy ending. Uh, yeah romance and you watch a lot of Hollywood movies and yeah. Hollywood shows and you're so you know influenced by what you watch yeah I I, I was yeah really innocent and 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 dream I was dreaming about love and I was hoping to anchor myself in in a family and do the usual thing to to be a wife to be a mother and that was all the fantasy that came with being at that age so that so was can I ask Eileen are you so in your teens, is that fantasy, and we all do that, right? We've all got a completely different perception of of love and relationships, I think, at that age compared to that age we are at now. Did that image look like um, heteronormative, I'll be a wife, I'll have a husband, I'll have children, we'll stay together forever, we'll have a nice sofa, you know, like what what did it look like? It was definitely heteronormative. I mean, yeah. that was the kind of image that 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 completely overwhelm and completely just um populate your 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 every ounce of your imagination. Um mm. and growing up in Singapore is a is a is a fiercely heteronormative society. Mm. There was mm. not much imagination about um, you know, alternative family arrangements or or multiple family arrangements, even till today, right? So mm. Then in the in in the eighties and nineties, it was even a stronger message that you have to, uh, you know, build strong families, and that really comprised um, a heterosexual couple, legally married couple with children, um, and and every aspect of the society really support that as well. There was so many incentives and rewards that's thrown onto this red carpet, and I wanted to be on the red carpet. Of I course, to have the social status of yeah. someone's wife, and and you know. Yeah. To have children, it really elevates your social status, and of course, it comes with a lot of economic rewards as well. So, so that was definitely super heteronormative. Can I, was I just say, Eling, sometimes we talk about that stuff with a bit of embarrassment, or even at its most extreme, at shame, you know, with shame. But I think it's actually a really important admission. Like being there's context in which being someone's wife, mm-hmm. and by in this case, we're saying a man's wife comes with significant cultural capital, comes with rewards from family and comes with economic security. So Mm -hmm. those things are real. Mm. And it's no surprise that 15, 16-year-old Ealing would be going, well, I want access to that. Why wouldn't you want access Mm -hmm. to that? Particularly, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you didn't know any 
queer people, if you didn't know any divorced people, if you didn't know any single women in their 40s and 50s, what other model did you have? Exactly. There wasn't any role model. Yeah. Um, and, and not just that, there were punitive measures put in place. Um, mm. so it's completely structural as well that, that it, not only the incentives were there mm. uh, deliberately to encourage a certain kind of family model, but there were also punitive measures put in place to punish those who dare to stray away. Yes. So there was a lot of moralizing against mm. uh, divorced people um, or unwed mothers or mm. people even till today. Mm. Right? So mm. there were there there were there are many many punishments. Um, not that it's just is unique in Singapore, but also you know mm. in Australia, even though that that uh, multiple family arrangements could be celebrated and supported but you will know that you know in in current um by australian society is still highly heteronormative and um there's still so much capital attached to being straight and legally married with kids mm. yeah absolutely and i think when we're talking about your upbringing it's absolutely not a case of oh bad in singapore good in australia mm. um because for for different reasons but with the same outcome i would say in the environment that i grew up it was the same Mm -hmm. I mean, there was probably slightly more access. Like I did know people who'd been divorced, mm -hmm. but they were certainly talked about like this. Mm. Okay. So they weren't necessarily outcast, um, but they I knew as a child that it was not a good thing, you mm. know, and obviously from this age I have a completely different perspective. So when were you dating boys? Like what did you try in that path? What happened? Yeah, I was dating boys, but um, nothing much happened. But I, I think that it was just going through those kind of um, um, adolescence, uh, naive stage mm. of dating boys um, and curious about, um, about dating. But I grew up in as a really, really disciplined teenager. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just um, my my ideal date during that time was to get my my boyfriend to come together to study together. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would be really really harsh on my 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 date, my boyfriend. That if they are just fooling around, they just want to hang out more. No, we sit down and we mm. go through our homework and yeah. we study for tests and exams <laughs> and. And that is that is how we 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 dated. And yeah. So Ealing's not going. Let's go to the movies or let's sneak cigarettes behind the school yeah. shed. You're like, let's do some calculus. Yes. Let's, let's read this our... classic or whatever. Like you were very studious. Is that because you knew you wanted to be an academic, or is that you by nature? No, I think by nature I was really disciplined in getting. Yeah. I I enjoy. Okay, this is quite embarrassing to admit, but I really enjoy working through all the homework and and mm. I will, we call them assessment books in Singapore where you buy extra coaching supplementary yep. materials. I don't know what you call it here, but but I would I would always you know pester my mom to go to the bookshop and get those books. Yeah. So on top of the regular homework that we get yeah. from schools, I will buy more. You did your own. I will buy the same copy twice. Like when I finish all the exercises, I will buy another copy of the same and then go through it again. And now oh, when wow. I visit these bookshops in Singapore mm. during my trip home, I will visit these bookshops and I'll touch the pages of these books and I, my heart will be filled with so much. Yeah, yeah, you love it. 
Yeah, I know. So- I don't think that's embarrassing at all. I mean, I think uh, maybe that's because I was similar, maybe not to that degree, but mm-hmm. I absolutely loved school. It's probably the one place where I felt really validated. And so, yeah, I I will, I'm happy to admit from this age that I also enjoyed homework and mm-hmm. I was a book nerd and the satisfaction I got from doing well in some subjects was, you know, it was very affirming. And it did actually mean, I think then, if you are struggling um, in other areas, whether it's family, dating, friends, whatever it is, it's a crutch, mm. right? It's a, it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's embarrassing. I think it's adorable and goodness <laughs> knows it's done, you know, it's served you well. So move me to, if you don't mind, and you share as much or as little as you want, when do you start thinking maybe I would like to kiss a girl or a variation on that? No, um, yeah, that only happened really late in life. Yeah. Yeah. So so I've always felt that um that that wasn't it, it never crossed my mind. It was never in my imagination because growing up in such a heteronormative um environment means that you you don't have role models or imagination. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind that in Singapore, you don't even get to watch queer shows, yeah. movies. All these are, are completely, you know, censored and, and banned. Mm. Um, and the portrayal of LGBTQI people um, is often, um, it is only allowed if it's a negative portrayal. If it's negative. So if it's like a prison setting or they're a criminal yes. or, or whatever. Or somebody yeah. who has a mental health condition, yeah. Yeah. someone yeah. who's an outcast. So, so, and that is written into the, the code. Into Wow. Policy, um, so you don't you don't have any role model imagination to to mm. to to think about you know mm. move different directions. So it has never crossed my mind. I've always thought that that I will only date boys and um and and end up getting married and that's it. Um, so so my queer relationship really only started when I was already working and that, that was mm. uh, a f- my first um proper official relationship was with my current partner and we've been together for. Close to eighteen years. Yeah, eighteen the years. Long, it's the longest relationship I've ever been, and um, I mean, obviously, it it it, it is working. <laughs> yes. Well, how old are you now, Eileen? If you don't mind me asking, I am forty-eight. Forty-eight. So this relationship starts when you're thirty. Yeah. And it's still going, which is amazing. Still Bravo! Going. And I have met your lovely partner. Um, <laughs> and how do you identify? Do you identify as lesbian, queer, something else? Hmm. Yeah, I I teach a lot about the, about identity yeah. representation and politics in class, and um, I have a lot to say about the yes. basic as well. So I'm not uh, really comfortable with labels, and yeah. um, but if I have to to answer that question, I would say that I'm queer. Queer yeah. because of the whole, um, you know, the whole concept, the conceptualization of queer, meaning that you don't, you know, you you are constantly interrogating normative structures yes. of queer in that sense. Um, and and oh, that- Aileen, you know, this is why I love you. This is exactly <laughs> why we bonded that night because I've had this discussion so many times, and and I don't mean this in a snobby way, but there's so few people that understand what I mean when I say queer in the full sense of it. Hmm. You know, they might understand, oh, it's an, I think in the, in the ether now, it's a way of kind of people going, oh, she doesn't want to pick a team, you know, or she doesn't want to say what she, whereas Hmm. for me, and this is like many decades Hmm. long, it is exactly what you said. It is about a continual 
questioning of structures, labels, systems, culture, every like it's so much more loaded than just kind of going, oh, I don't want to pick a team. Like I picked a team, it's the queer team. All right, so do you mind, and again, I'm very conscious that this is a really loaded question. So you, as I say with all my guests that I ask this of, who've been in long-term relationships, feel free to not answer it. Mm-hmm. Does being in a long-term committed relationship suit you? Like what do you think about the model of that kind of relationship? I think that uh, in the true essence of querying lives and structures, um, there's no one fixed ideal model. So I won't be advocating for any particular model and 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 I won't be advocating for the model I'm in as well. I really think that that it depends a lot on a few things, like largely on luck, to be honest. Mm. Uh, you know, how the, the stars align in the universe for you and and I think that I'm lucky to be in this uh, committed relationship now because it works as long as it has been, right? Yeah. And anytime it doesn't, it didn't work in the past, it, we could have parted. And there, may, there were many challenges. There were many times that we could have gone our separate ways because oh. as, as migrants, uh, migration, you know, is such a great stressor. It could yes. break relationships easily. And um, I have interviewed many international uh, migrants who have uh, lost their marriages because of migration. Oh. Um, so I... I I, I think that there's no fixed model that is ideal. Um, I think that what has put us has has really um, helped us stay together on the same course um, is 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 really working out um, a lot of teething problems, mm, mm. <laughs> working out a, a certain kind of rhythm that makes mm. sense both of us, and it's mm. not even fixed because we we change our bodies change. Mm. We are going through perimenopause. Yeah. <laughs> In terms, you know, our hormones are changing, our life causes are changing, and there are plenty of life events. And at our stage, we are dealing with deaths, departures of loved ones, and that could break us easily, easily, Mm. and change Mm. us and change our partnership totally. Um, So, feeling, I think this is critical. Actually, I reckon this is the key. Where I mean, there's two things. I think I've said this before, but I think it's important to say it repeatedly. Because a relationship ends doesn't mean it's a failure, right? So if you're, and I'm not suggesting for a second that this will happen, but if your relationship with Shauna ended tomorrow, it would still have been an amazing relationship. And we need to kind of query that script, that if something ends, it was a failure. But the other thing I notice in successful, happy, functional long-term relationships is the key seems to be Mm -hmm. the ability to change with each other. So if there is mm. migration, death, birth, illness, job mm. changes, hormonal change, all the things that life is going to throw at all of us at some point, are you able to adapt with each other and grow with each other? Mm-hmm. The ones, yeah. Even the ones that stay together that don't do that, I, I, I look at those and I think this is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. You might still be together, but you're dysfunctional. Mm. And in other cases it will end. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's a daily work, you know. It's yeah. not you know, today we could have a good day and tomorrow who knows. Yeah. And especially when there's so many things going on in <clears throat> in our lives individually, when yeah. we come together 
and living in close proximity and we are in yeah. a one-room flat, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're in a one-bedroom <laughs> flat. Yeah. Yes, me, I know. Now tell me, before I move you on, I'd like to know what do you think is the most challenging part of a long-term relationship and then what do you think is the best part of it in what whichever order you want to address those? Well, the most challenging part is working out each other's rhythm of life. I think yes. that yeah, being in sync because it's, mm. it's almost like having a, a, a really, really intimate um, roommate and mm. um, family members. And mm. families fight all the time, right? Mm. So we don't, I mean, it's, it's really expected that, that we'll be fighting about how do you, you know, have some form of... Um, reconciliation or, or communication where you can reach a certain rapport where both your rhythms are in sync that yeah. takes so much uh, work and it's not easy um, and that is challenging and that is part of doing that work in a long-term committed relationship but why do we stay in it it's not because we are forced to especially in a queer relationship but mm. why do I stay in it because there are other great parts right the great parts is that I found a soulmate I found a partner in life um, especially um, there are so many things that that in our life that we overlap not just histories but in our work we we are the best you know uh, teammates we work together even before we came here uh, to Australia Mm. Um, and then coming to Australia, we did our PhD together, we mm. researched together, we published together, we are we are co-workers. So and we are in the same discipline, we get each other political positions, philosophies, mm. um, and and um and and advocacy. I think that mm. that that really grew us. If we uh one is super uh, conservative or yes. right and the other one is at the other end you know you, it will mm. clash for sure but but thankfully we have developed same kind of politics mm. towards different aspects of our lives and and I think that kind of make us be in sync and that's the best part where you feel that I don't even need to unpack and yes get, get it you the know? shorthand yeah. right so you've got You've got shared values. You've got some shared interests, at least. You obviously like each other's company. If you're able to live in a one-bedroom flat, plus <laughs> you're able to work together and travel together. You do have my read, having spent a little bit of time with both of you, you've got different personalities, sure. but they're complementary. Mm-hmm. And that idea, I think that's a really interesting idea going back to the challenge of rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're, and this is going to happen in any long-term partnership, like, if you and I are in a relationship, I might be in a period of life where I'm like, go, 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 ambition. That could be work ambition. It could be other ambitions. And you might be in a, well, you know, I'm just seeing how life goes and I'm, you know, moving through it. Can you sit with those changes in rhythm with each other? Can you accommodate those? Can you even recognize that that's happening and that Mm -hmm. that's the challenge? Mm. I think that's a really fascinating way to frame it because we do go through periods um, of different rhythm, depending on age, circumstances, age of kids, age of parents, age of, you know, a whole range of things. Mm. Can you accommodate those changes in rhythm? Yeah. And and can you also sit with the discomfort that sometimes yes. you can't? And, and yes. it, it's not perfection you're after. It's, it's mm. not like we need to be this uh, perfect couple or this perfect mm. stories that we always get each other or we are always mm. in sometimes we're just not you know and um, sometimes you're just going to give me the shits yeah right mm-hmm. so if my rhythm is like go 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 at the moment and yours is you know what I'm taking some me time and I'm going to sleep in 
that is going to give me the shits. Can I sit with that? Can you sit with that when that reverses and changes? Or yet, yeah, can I be uncomfortable? If you can't be uncomfortable, I just don't think you can be in a relationship. Mm. Yep, yep, it's true because on many days it is uncomfortable. It's yeah. uncomfortable when when you know life just affects you differently. Yeah, uh, and even though both of us are from the same. Um, nationality, culture, mm. language, and, and um, academic training background. Um, mm. Still times that, that we are just not in sync, especially mm. when um, sickness come in the way, when mm. I've been struggling with um, um, chronic mental health condition for a long, long time. And, and it has not been easy for her to be my caregiver. Mm. Um, and I think now... Um, she's struggling on her own as well. So, so we are taking turns to be each other's caregiver. And mm. um, but there are days that both of us are were sick, and who's mm. going to care for us? Um, and, and you become each other's punching bag, and and you can't help it. But but then at the end of the day, what what we always do is that um we try to reconcile very quickly within a couple mm. hours because. Um, there's just no point because we, we are also acutely aware of our mortality that that mm. you know, life can be really short and people too short. Yeah. very quickly and, uh, and and we don't want you know that the last word to each other if, if one person were to go the last word to each other is an angry word so we mm. try to give each other space to cool down and within a couple of hours try to reconcile and work out something mm. um, and, and not let it simmer for too long because it's just mm. no point. yeah 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 and do you, and I absolutely respect your boundary on this if you don't want to, but since you've raised it, do you mind talking about the mental health condition you raised? Yeah, um, I've been diagnosed with um, complex PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I have been struggling with um, chronic depression, chronic anxiety disorder, uh, suicide ideation for, mm. for a long time. I'm also struggling with fibromyalgia. So this has mm. been something that's been ongoing uh, for a while. Uh, my mental health has always been poor since I was a child. Uh, as, as young as like six or six or seven, I was already seeing a child psychiatrist. Uh, mm. But it just got worse because your brain continues to degenerate, yeah. continues yeah. to age. And then with so many other traumatic life events like mm. divorce, migration, racism, mm. uh, it, it just you know weaken your your brain. Compounds. The, yeah, and then and your, you, your brain is damaged. So that has been part of your relationship with Shauna from the beginning. From the beginning, I think that um, it has been bad, but then I think it just got worse over time. Mm. As I and do you mind if I ask? Because I think this is a really common. Um, situation that we all experience but also that a lot of our callers are dealing with mm-hmm. how do you manage the dynamic between you so that it's not always carer and cared for like mm-hmm. are you conscious of that dynamic mm-hmm. and what what do you two put in place mm-hmm. I mean I'm really I'm not trying to be um, superficial about it but to keep it romantic Mm-hmm. to keep it a, a romantic relationship rather than one taking care of the other. Mm. We are not romantic. <laughs> You're not romantic. Yeah, we are not. Because we, I think that, that both of us find it really hard to be romantic because we are both um, 
critics of romance and love, yeah. modern love and intimacy, and we are acutely aware of how it is all tied to capitalism and consumerism. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't say that we 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 don't find joy or find you know fun things to do. Um, um, that's not true either. We what would be uh, uh, a good time together is is a stroll along the beach, you know, just yeah. talk each other, walking, you know, um, in the neighborhood. We love walks. And I think mm. those things are important. It helps with my mental health condition as well. When she mm. witness or when she observed that I'm sinking, she would draw me out and, and get me out of the house and we'll go, go for, for a walk in the yeah. local park or go to the beach and just talk mm. it out. And we do a lot of uh, processing and, and, and communication during the walks. And that has been quite life-saving. Um, mm. It's also a change of, of, of uh, environment that helps to just, you know, reset my, my mm. brain. I think that has been really helpful. Um, we, we enjoy doing things together. We enjoy cooking together. Um, and um, my idea of, um, romance if you if we have to use that word is that i wake up in the morning and she'll cook me breakfast every day faithfully um so i will go to the dining table and uh, pretend that i'm a customer in a cafe so i stop <laughs> cafes because she provides that cafe experience uh, for me at home i'll sit there with a book i wouldn't move at all so yeah. she will put the table mats she will cook Beautiful. different breakfast every day and yeah. it's cafe uh, standard and then she'll bring me the cutlery as well and coffee and I'll just sit there and enjoy my my breakfast and that That's is beautiful that is my idea of of love and and intimacy oh Eileen, there's so been people listening me included like I think it may be a it may be a um academic slash semantic kind of difference like to me that is romance I'm not talking about buying roses like going for a walk on the beach or someone, you know, recognizing that you're spiraling and saying, come on, you know, let's go for a walk together, cooking, you know, people say, oh, she brought me a coffee every morning, or he went mm. and got my favorite bagel every day or whatever it is. Like, to me, that's romance. I mean, that kind of connection, mm. you know, mm. that is kind of different to a friendship is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that she, she knows how to um, get me out of uh, certain uh, difficult um, moments like in the morning is always difficult for me because of brain right. force and, and so a good solid uh, amazing breakfast proper brekkie yeah. yeah and the breakfast could be it, it's, it's always you know so nicely presented with with um, you know, like pan seared inoki uh, or shiitake mushrooms sitting on the bed of um, av- smashed avocado with a poached egg oh. Uh, and kimchi as well to give you the probiotics. And so all kinds of, every day is different. And Now you're showing off, Aileen. <laughs> Come on, now you're showing off. Oh, my Lord. If someone would cook me that kind of breakfast every morning, I'd be bloody romantic, let me tell you that much. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, uh, you had me at kimchi. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and placemats. Yeah, how gorgeous! Cutlery. I wouldn't even bring my own cutlery, but I love I love uh, pancake Sundays. Yeah, gorgeous pancakes, so it's lovely. It's yeah. those things, isn't it? It's it's that little things. They're not little things. It's it's the they're actually the substance. Mm. It's that kind of moments of connection, and it might for me that'll be something like holding hands. Like I'm really tactile, mm. and I need that kind of affection. And if I don't have that kind of affection, I really notice it and I really miss it. It's mm-hmm. not about grand gestures. It's it's mm-hmm. that kind of touch my arm as I walk past. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, stroke my hair, Mm -hmm. like whatever it is. Now, I, we have a segment, as you know, called Armchair Expert, where I put a meme to you. Now, I did not know that you had complex PTSD, but I think this is even more pertinent. Um, it is from Tiny Buddha on Instagram, and the meme is, you cannot heal in the same environment that made you sick. Mm. What do you yeah. think about that? Oh, it really resonates with me mm. a lot, and... Um... It resonated with me because I think that um, I took a lot of courage to leave an environment that was uh, acutely racist. Mm. Uh, I was completely, completely broken um, and and just shattered into pieces. Uh, and it came to a point of um, despondence and hopelessness that I, I attempted suicide. Oh, uh, yeah, and I just didn't know how to find hope. I really mm. didn't know how to. Um, it wasn't... It wasn't a deliberate move to be, you know, some people like to say that, oh, you you are selfish, you didn't think about the people that you're leaving behind. But it came to a point where I think that the worst form of humanity is where, where you reach a point where you can't find hope. And I couldn't find hope. I couldn't. I just couldn't find hope. And Eileen, was this a workplace or a different sort of environment? A workplace. So um, this is critical, right? So this is the reason. And as I said, I didn't know that you had um, CPTSD before I put this in. But the reason I put it in is because I know you're an academic. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that drives me absolutely round the bend is when we talk about like where we individualize social and structural problems. So the example I always give is, you know, you take a little queer kid in a uh, uh, high school that's homophobic where he's getting bullied, where no one's supporting him. He might be getting that at home. And then we go, oh, he's not well. He needs a psychiatrist. (laughs) Like that environment, there is no way on earth anyone could withstand that and not feel sick Mm -hmm. in the sense that we understand illness. He's not broken. The environment's broken. Exactly, and and yeah, it's it's hard, right? When you when you protest or you make a complaint, and and then the response that you get is that um, that you are either overthinking it or mm. or that you're too sensitive or that mm. you need support. So we're going to send you for employment assistance scheme. Yeah, it comes mm-hmm. with free counseling. It's yes. like. My God, I don't think I I I was even more insulted uh, than that when do that some happened. yoga, Eileen. Do some <laughs> yoga, right? I or, or, or just take it easy, you know, like don't, don't give it like have a bath. Yeah. One of my I, I don't think I've told you this story before, but long story short, I rang a particular like carer organization because I have two kids with disabilities. And I was at the absolute end of my tether, and I'd been told to ring this place and they could offer help. You go through this odious and onerous um, criteria. You know, it took like 40 minutes to assess your eligibility, all of this stuff. And right at the end, the woman said to me, so what would you like? Like, how could we help you? And I said, you know what? I would really like someone to come and clean the gutters. It's just one of those jobs. I just can't get to it. I don't want to get up on the ladder. I can't leave the kids in the house, et cetera, et cetera. And I swear to you, Eileen, she said to me, look, we can't do that, but I do have vouchers for Zoom yoga. <laughs> and I thought if ever there was an anecdote to show the shit show and the 
absolute um, misunderstanding and misapplication of wellness to structural and social problems. You're talking to an isolated single mother carer mm-hmm. asking you for help. You've told me you can help me. I've mm-hmm. told you this is exactly what I need. I've done all the thinking. And you say, do some fucking yoga. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? Yeah, it's, 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 it's horrifying to just hear this. Isn't yeah, but it? it happens all the time about how social problems are uh, are individualized. Individualized, the person, yeah. And the person who who complains about the problem becomes the problem, right? That yes. the, that the yes. person becomes the problem, um, the, the troublemaker that needs to be diagnosed, that needs to be fixed. Yes. yes. That needs to, you know, be be silenced and, and pathologized. Yeah. Absolutely pathologized. And in the context of this. Um, podcast, I see this and not universally, but I see this with couples counseling as mm. well, where you can see a relationship is fundamentally done. It doesn't even have to be toxic, mm-hmm. but it may indeed be toxic and it may even be abusive, but either way it is done. Mm. If you looked at it from any outside perspective, any ob- objectivity, you'd say this has run its course. And what is our solution as a society? You need couples counselling. And indeed, there are couples counsellors, I've seen this in, to some degree, I've experienced it, who are so invested in the model of couples staying together that regardless of what they see, they advocate for that. Mm-hmm. And I stress again, that's not all. There's some fantastic couples counsellors. But this idea that you can be in a bad relationship and be healthy individually is a nonsense. You're not going to heal. It doesn't matter how much yoga, how much therapy, how much kale you eat. If the relationship's bad, you're going to feel bad. Mm. And also if they are dealing with uh, broader structures um, of inequality, that could be, if if a migrant that come together and they are dealing with migration issues, say for example, visa, right? Or that, their family members that's still stuck in the war-torn countries, or they're coming together, um, and there's a lot of stress, a lot of cracks because of employment issues, or, mm. or or they're facing racism in in their own workplace or in their everyday life, and that's why the relationship is cracking up. Mm. Going to couple counseling is not going to make exactly. these problems go that's away. Right. They were just mm. only made to feel that I'm not good enough. I'm yeah. not. Good. I need to yeah. work hard. I need to be a better person. A You're better not person. trying hard enough. Yeah. Is the message rather than going, you are so burdened. It's like that idea of, you know, new mothers in particular, I think this happens too, but there's a whole range of groups. That's just my own experience. I remember being a new mum and all that stuff of, oh, you know, just don't worry about doing the washing. You're like, oh, okay, so now I'm sleep deprived and living in a (laughs) shithole. No, what we need to do is actually wrap our arms around new mothers and mm. help them mm. rather than tell them just let that go, mm-hmm. you know. And it's there's so many other issues to which this applies. I noticed when I was in, in the last few years, you know, doing online dating, lots of queer dating, the amount of family violence mm. um, that the the women that I was going on date or the people that I was going on dates with had experience. And I know they haven't told people. Mm. I know that the, the there is overlays of racism and homophobia and misogyny and all the things tied up in that. Mm-hmm. And then to say to that woman, oh, you, you know, you need to do some meditation. Mm. 
<laughs> I mean, it, I, you know, I'm preaching to the converted. So <laughs> we have to heal the environment, right? Or we have to leave the environment. Yeah, we have to. I think that um, after leaving the environment, it's also really good to take a good look at the environment, like what is broken there? What yes. is the environment that is causing your pain and causing the issues, the pain of other people? And as a, as, as an academic who has done, um, you know, who, who is always looking at uh, different kind of structural problems, I think that to take many steps back is to really question some of these institutions that have been imposed on us, the institution of marriage, the institution yeah. of family, right? And 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 we are being sold a myth, a, a promise that, didn't, that doesn't deliver all the time. In fact, it comes with a lot of impositions, a lot of stress, and, and we are supposed to believe that every time you enter into a marriage or every time you have a family, it is a site of happiness. Yes. But it is not necessarily so. And the institutions were put in place for very clear, um, you know, uh, uh, purposes starting from colonialism to capitalism and now neoliberalism. I mean, we, we, we can't we cannot see that. But then and, and but the whole idea of being in this system is that we are already blinded. We are not conscious of that, right? And we oh, think sure. we just have to fix our individual sites and we we'll all be good. But yeah. these sites are being created to sell a promise that are not always going to deliver and and there's too much expectations placed on that and, I'll and give you trapped, that's the worst part right doing trap that that yeah. that we need to make it work in order for us to be happy we mm. need to get onto that that red carpet in order that you will give us happiness mm. i think that that is um that's the trap that we are now uh, all stuck in Yes, and which we just, you know, despite all of the various modes of information that we have now, we seem to still be stuck in. So mm -hmm. I'll give you a con concrete example. We had a um, letter uh, a couple of episodes ago from a guy who essentially said, look, I'm in my mid-50s. Mm -hmm. I keep starting relationships. A little while into the relationship, um, I get bored and I'm not interested in anymore. And he was really ashamed of that. And... Mm -hmm. Long story short, my view is one or two things is going on. Either he needs to go into therapy to look at whether or not there's something that's blocking him getting what he wants, like is it self-sabotage? But I think the more likely answer is he's not built for monogamy and mm -hmm. some people simply aren't. They mm -hmm. are not built for long-term monogamous commitments and that doesn't make you a broken person, we don't need to pathologize that. If we are ripping up the script in my language mm -hmm. of, you know, colonialism, patriarchy, capitalism, all the things that lead to 2.2 kids in the suburbs and a mum and dad, if mm -hmm. we are actually going to rip that up, then there's nothing wrong with this guy. He mm -hmm. needs to be honest mm -hmm. with the people that he's dating, but mm -hmm. he's not a broken person to not be able to fit the model that he didn't choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also um, the the question is that people can can change, and like yeah. people can, can have different um, preferences about lives, or or they are in a different um, crossroad of their lives, and and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and and it doesn't mean that um, that that we have to stick to a, a fixed mold in order no. to to be whole, to be happy and, and, and that we shouldn't be 
make to feel that there's something wrong with us or that we should be punished. Mm. Um, and that's just the whole queering part is about, right? Yes. That that we are queer because we believe that um, that you know that 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 humanity is complex. Yes. Um, there's multitude of humanity, and it yeah. is beautiful that way, and we should just celebrate it. And and why why is it that we are stuck in in the current normative structures? Is mm. it's not it's and I always tell students that it's not natural and it's not. Mm. Uh, accidental. It is not as as mm. uh, natural as you how you see how the sun rises in the morning. Mm. But they are all constructed for yes. very particular political economic agendas. Mm. Uh, and they may change in their forms, but the principles of capital accumulation, capital hoarding, is still the same. Mm. Uh, and and it's often tied to race as well. So it's it's, it's these things that I think that if we are able to kind of gain certain understanding, we might feel ourselves a little bit um, more conscious of the entrapment that, that yes. comes within. Yes, yeah. and I think once you start questioning those things, and I've had the privilege of being able to do that through education and, you know, friends and work, but everyone has that opportunity to a greater or lesser degree. Just start questioning things. Where did that idea come from? Mm-hmm. You know, where did it come from? Whose script is that? Who mm-hmm. does it serve? Does mm-hmm. it match reality? I mean, that idea of we've just been through, you know, Christmas and New Year in Australia, the idea of the happy family sitting around the Christmas tree, we all know that that mm-hmm. doesn't apply to probably most of the people we know. Mm-hmm. And yet it's still ingrained, even for those of us who are critical. Mm-hmm. So it's an ongoing work, but I think yeah. it's a really valuable work because I hate, you know, the term gaslighting is overused, but I think there is a cultural gaslighting going Mm -hmm. on with this stuff if you follow the rules you'll be happy Mm. despite all the fucking evidence Mm. of of the misery Mm -hmm. that those rules have caused many many people just follow the toe the line toe the line it's we're too old for that shit Eileen yeah and the problem is also that the 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 systems do encourage it because of course they do yeah, if, if everything is put in policy and in um, in incentives, right? For example, throwing baby bonus or tax benefits for heteronormative yeah. early married couples. The truth is that there is there is reward. There are rewards that of make course. it because it is a lot easier. So so it is also not true that um there's no happiness. In in fact, it is the society is built to give you the happiness. Yes, true. But, but then it can also come with a lot of unhappiness because then you feel that you need to then fulfill certain expectations. And I've mm-hmm. seen a lot in my research, you know, respondents that I've interviewed, how they try so hard to get mm-hmm. back to the red carpet, how they try so hard to get married again, despite mm-hmm. having you know, fit, uh, a few failed marriages, uh, even in their 60s and 70s, and mm-hmm. these are income men who who don't have the capacity to mm. raise the family or to keep the family together but they still think that if only mm. I get married again mm. I will be a man again yeah. Yeah, my yeah. masculinity will be rescued I yes. will be again and but in the end it hurts them as well yeah because they they, they find themselves so depleted they have no mm. money and and you know everything just backfires so 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 it hurt us all Right. Yeah, and they feel like they're getting everything wrong. I know this is a weird analogy, but I think it it holds. It is like the idea that so many women are sold, and I think increasingly all the genders, um, once you lose weight, you will feel 
so-and-so. Once you look a certain way, once you're a certain size, once you're a certain number on the scales, then everything, you will be more successful at work and you will have more relationships and people will like you more. Now, that's not to deny the cultural capital that comes from being um, slim because that's real, mm-hmm. but none of those things are true. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you shit follows you, whether yeah. whether you're size 10 or size 30. Mm-hmm. And the same with that, there'll be some benefits. Yeah. You'll be sitting at the barbecue and you'll be, I'm a husband. And people go, okay, I get that. But you still got to go home and be the husband. All right. Can I give you a listener letter, Eileen? Sure. Okay. So I'm actually combining a few different listener questions that I've had recently around, I don't know if you've listened to these episodes, but we talk about needing a coven right? So needing, and it's a reclaiming of the whole idea of a bunch of witches, but the idea is needing a friendship circle. That might be a small friendship circle, but some kind of support system, particularly when you're older Mm -hmm. and particularly for a lot of listeners who might have experienced the end of a long-term relationship or other kinds of loss. And I think it's particularly pertinent to ask you this question because you have had to migrate. And you have had to land in a new city, presumably where you knew very few people. How do you build new friendships at our age? It's so hard. It is hard, <laughs> isn't it? It's not as easy as when you're yeah, 20. It is very hard. Um, it's hard when you have um, social anxiety. It's yeah. hard when you are a migrant, you know. It's hard. Um especially when you are older as well um, and, and, and you know, you're busy and life gets in the way and things like that. It is getting harder and harder. And I, and I have to admit that uh, finding good friends or, you know, intimate friendships in, in Sydney has not been easy. Mm. Uh, it is really hard to, to and, and I think that I'm not the only one who has said this. I've heard other friends who are non um white migrants here that it's really hard to get penetrate into certain circles uh social circles of uh you know white australian friends and colleagues to be honest um and um yeah but uh, but i think we are lucky that we managed to find our own community of uh, um queer friends and as well as um especially queer migrants uh Mm. people of color i think that that really helps um uh it but it's it's not it's, it has not been consistent because people move away. Yeah. People come, people move away. We had friends when we were doing our PhD and then, you know, after PhD, everybody mm. just kind of get dispersed to different parts of the mm. world. Um, and then when you're working, you do, you know, you you find uh, friends um, among your colleagues, but then there's also that sensitivity about, you know, uh, building friendships at the workplace. And, yeah. and, uh, and then it, it's a lot of um, uh, talk shop you know, kind of yeah. situation, which is not always pleasant. Sometimes it just makes you feel, oh, when can I get out of the work context? Well, um, and there, presumably, I mean, in the work context as well, there can be privacy issues, mm-hmm. right? You might want to go to certain events, for example, that you wouldn't, that aren't like work appropriate that you do in your personal life. And do you, how much do you reveal? How much is safe to reveal um, in a work context? Do you, going back to you saying social anxiety, because I think that's something that I hear 
that's one of the few anxieties I don't understand because I have other kinds of anxiety, but social anxiety is not one of them. But I know a lot of our listeners have social anxiety. Do you have social anxiety? Very bad social anxiety. Isn't uh, this, can I just yeah. say this is, I don't know whether you find this interesting, but I do. I did mm-hmm. not pick up on that at all in my interactions with you. Like you yeah, seem very like confident socially and we chatted very easily and we both seem to have a good time and we've stayed in touch. So mm-hmm. do you think you just cover it well or have I just like missed something? Well, well social anxiety works differently for different people. Yeah. It's a really broad term, a very generic term. So so you it could manifest uh, very differently for different people. My uh, symptoms of social anxiety comes in very different ways. Like for example, before a social gathering, I'll be really, really nervous. My hands will be clammy. Yeah. Uh, and I will um there'll be a lot of thoughts of, of how I could run away from that situation. Like mm-hmm. maybe I'll I'm sick or yes. something like yes. stomach or what. And and I will have to run the toilets. Yeah. So you it's want to avoid physical. It's also physical, right? Yeah, so it is. Yeah. manifestation. And then um and and there will be situations that there'll be certain times that um I will I will not go. Like yeah. and 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 if I know that I will my social anxiety can be so bad that I will, I will deliberately avoid certain situations where if I have to attend, say, a conference, mm. um, if I have to attend a, a, a large event where there are breakout groups or um or um tea, oh, mm. that's, that's mm. like my ultimate. Mm. <laughs> mm. The ultimate, most anxiety-inducing thing for me to have that small talks over tea and mm. also being really worried about whether uh, people will talk to me uh, mm. and feel really vulnerable and exposed. And there mm. were many times um, growing up, even, even in my young um, adult life and even before coming here, that I would, during the tea break, I would hide in the toilet. Oh, darling. Yeah, so it's that bad. Yeah. So yeah. My Oh, no, I, I understand. So I would literally so... walk out of the venue and yeah. rather pay for my tea or my lunch Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know, doing free lunch and free tea break at the yeah. conference. And feeling awkward. So it's... we have, just going back to the physical symptoms, and I mean, this is gross, but it's also real. Like in comedy land, we have this thing, we, we say you can have festival ass, right, <laughs> which basically means that during comedy festival or during periods of intense um, performing, everyone gets digestive issues. Mm. Everyone gets like either diarrhea, constipation or both. Some people even really experience people throw up before a show. I've certainly, you know, we joke about it, but it's that dark humour stuff that we talked about at the start. I've been on my way to shows and literally thought to myself, if I have a car accident, can I cancel? You know, not that, mm. not like I want to die, but where no. I've got like a plausible excuse. Yeah, I've you know, seen and that. that will be that's not me every time I perform. That's specific events, right, where I don't feel comfortable or safe, but I sort of have to do them. You mm. have that level of anxiety sometimes, literally going into like a conference or into I don't know a dinner party, or yeah, um, it, it's usually social situations that I cannot control. So I have no problem mm. uh, teaching, going to a, a big lecture theatre with like 500 mm. students or performing or anything like that. Mm. When I know there's a fixed role and yes. I know what to yes. do, but it yes. is uncontrolled social situations. Oh, Eileen, you should be a comedian. 
This is why. This is exactly why I picked you out of that lineup. I've only just realised you have a comedian's temperament. Like I am very rare in comedy land to not have social anxiety. Almost every comedian I know is very comfortable on stage, literally talking to hundreds, even thousands of people because they are in control of mm. the situation to a certain degree. You get them doing small talk. Mm. You get them signing autographs. Or chatting to the audience, they completely crumble. It's mm. a very, very different thing. And it seems like the, the one on stage is harder, but it's not if you have mm. that temperament. Like actually the small talk's harder. It's harder because also the distance, right? Yeah, that's right. Speaking to another person and having to, to think about what to say. And, and another part of the social anxiety is rumination after that. Rumination. Okay. Till oh god, it was it, it the, the intrusive thoughts, thoughts couldn't shake off for days. Like how did I say wow. something stupid or did I say something to offend anyone? Should I be apologizing? It's endless. And you wish sometimes you could just open your brain and dig all these things out, but you can't. You can't. So that, that is part of the social. That's anxiety. not how it works. Can I ask you? So obviously we've hung out a couple of times, including a dinner and chatting you know after the event and interacting just to give me context do you then like you and I have dinner do you then go home after going oh, I shouldn't have said this to Nelly why did I say this will she think this is that how it works remember that I spilled the glass of wine oh yes uh-huh uh-huh oh Eileen yes no yeah. until today oh I'm darling wishing that I didn't do that and I wish that um, wow, I think sweet. that I, I caught your your expression. I think that I, I don't think that you were you were conscious of it, but but it was a, a, a bit of a surprise and taken aback. Mm. I remember the expression till today, and I thought that oh shit, I have offended Nelly. Oh, and not I at all. Because, uh, who, 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 I know I, I, I stained her dress, her clothes. Oh. I felt Although both of you were so gracious and so generous, but it was it will never be social anxiety is never about how no. people are, right? It's no. about how you think they are or yeah. how you think that you have have let people down, right? Yeah. That is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I understand <laughs> the and I don't mean this in the pejorative, I mean it literally, I understand the irrationality of anxiety, because I have that in other areas. Um, I mean, let me reassure you 100%. I haven't thought about it again until you, and this is, this is the great tragedy of anxiety, right? Where you're sitting there kind of ruminating. In my case, it might be that I got a, I don't know, I got a joke wrong or I didn't handle a heckler how I wanted to or whatever it is. No one else is thinking about it, <laughs> but for me, it, anxiety makes it front and center. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I understand that. So in terms of for people listening who have social anxiety, because I'm really aware when, I, when I'm asked this question, I know that I find that so easy. I am really blessed in that sense. I walk into a room full of strangers and I do not feel anxious at all. So I would actually rather hear from you talking to listeners directly who have social anxiety what advice would you give them about making friendships? I I think um well for me what works is that I I'm I'm better and more comfortable with one on one. Yes. 
um, rather than in in groups. In so groups. coffees, having a coffee with someone or whatever, having a meal. A meal having a yeah. walk together. Yeah. Uh, it, makes, uh, it makes a lot of difference. Getting mm. to, having that curiosity in someone's life and genuinely being interested in that person's life. Um, I, I think that that really... Uh, works for me mm. and so if I do really have to attend those tea breaks and lunch break I, I seek out people who are on their own because yes. I know right um, and, and and just want to be just want to connect to another human being um, mm. and, and be less um, concerned about who is in the room and and you know less concerned about you know networking with the right people but just mm. um being kind to myself and kind to the other person by just having that connection, that that mm. connection, and I think that those are the things that 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 are valuable to me. Can I give you a perspective of of an extrovert? Mm-hmm. If because I've been in that situation many times, if you approached me, and obviously I MC a lot of conferences and things like that, if you approached me and said, "I'm feeling anxious and I'm here by myself." you'd be under my wing for the rest of that conference, <laughs> right? There's there's going to be extroverts at that um, or people who are uh, socially confident, whatever terminology you want to use. If you put it out there, I promise you, you will find someone who will go, come with me, E-Link, or, her, or the listeners. And once it's spelled out, like an extrovert like me loves a job. We love a task, right? So... <laughs> If you say, let's, you know, can you literally take me under your wing? I'll be like, let's do it. Can I bring you to to every conference I have to attend? Yes, you can. (laughs) Let's do that. Let's work up a system. I'll MC it. I'll hold your hand during the lunch break. I'll bring people over. I'll be your wingman. No problem. I want you to tell me, like, if you could think of the hottest celebrity like someone that at least some of the listeners would have heard of, if you could go on a date, I mean, you're not dating, but let's imagine you are. If you could go on a date with someone, give me your like hot and hot hottie. I actually don't think that I want to go on a date with a celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> I find that question hard to answer because I'm actually not keen to to date a celebrity or even go out with a celebrity. Yeah. Reason because I think that I like to keep the 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 illusion, the fantasy. Yes. You know, just seeing them on screen and pretending that they're, they're these perfect human beings. Um yeah. and and I and I don't want them to talk to me to spoil that illusion. Yes, <laughs> like you really, shouldn't meet your heroes. I get it. And I think that um, sometimes you you watch some of them do interviews. You're like, oh my god, what are I you know. talking? About? Why? Yeah. So I I I I have no um interest in wanting to go on a date with a celebrity, <laughs> let alone the hottest celebrity, because I think that they I don't want to know their flaws. Um, yeah. And and I, I I don't want them to let me down so that I can continue to watch their shows. So Aileen, you're basically saying to me that's a stupid question, Nelly, and I accept that. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> what I want you to do is imagine someone mm-hmm. hot. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a celebrity. Just imagine them in your head. You're on a date with them. I'm referring to the TikTok trend like they're a ten but so the date's going really well. They're so hot everything's going great and then they do something where you think I'm out of here what would that something be I I 
I I'm hyperallergic and hypersensitive to any thoughts or opinions that are remotely or slightly racist, sexist, misogynist, and queerphobic. So if anyone, you know, no matter how good looking you are and how perfect your body is, and if you just stray slightly there, that's it for me. You know, yeah. really, everything will shut down. It will be a physical, physiological reaction. Yes. <laughs> I won't be able to swallow my food. I'll feel like I need to run away. And yeah, I think, well, it, it could, it would just trigger my PTSD, to be honest. So yeah. I think that, that will be like, you know, straightforward for me to just yeah. end the evening early and, and move on and let them be who they are. So, and it's not difficult to spot, like some of the things that's being said, the assumptions that are being made about mm. people. Yeah, it will be just so easy, easy to pick it up. Yeah, so that would be your deal breaker, and I think that's a that's a common deal breaker because there's also a point at which you think, well, I can't. No matter how hot you are, even in a one night stand, Eileen, you're going to talk at some point. So if you're you you don't want to be stuck in a situation where you're on the receiving end of bigotry, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us um, on Dear Nelly. I would love you to come back if you'd like to come back when we don't have so many technical hitches and take some calls. And I thank you for your openness and your generosity. And I will see you at the next conference at the tea table. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Eileen. Bye. Bye. Dear Nelly, I could use some advice, dear Nelly. Yeah, some help would be nice, dear Nelly. I'm eager to hear your point of view, dear Nelly. There's a lot to explore, dear Nelly. When you're 40 or more, dear Nelly. So I'm hoping we can talk it through. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Dear Nelly. Now, don't be shy. I would love to hear your questions and comments. To send me a recording or an email, go to nellythomas.com and follow the links. It's super easy and you might hear me talk about your question in a future episode. Huge thanks to producer Sam Peterson from the Producer Boy Creative Production team and to producer Faye Younger, who in addition to being an excellent human, is also a brilliant real estate buyer's advocate and can be found at youngerhill.com. Thanks to Acast and all the team. And lastly, to you. Without the listeners, I'm just a middle-aged mole talking shit to no one. Please rate, review and consider subscribing for five bucks a month for a bonus episode and to help me keep the lights on. And tell your bloody mates, would you? I'd really appreciate it. Love yous.